0: on this probably three years ago now. I think it was three years ago, August, I did my first post on on the Experiencing His Victory website and started doing this. Um, One of the things that the Lord kept having come to my mind was life as God intends it to be. Because He has an intention for our life. He has blessings that he truly wants to be in our lives and he wants wholeness and his full salvation to impact every aspect of who we are because jesus died for the wholeness of who we are and the wholeness of our life now here's the thing in um, genesis chapter 1 verse 32 when god created everything he said it was very good that was his assessment (laughs) that when he created after the six days of creation, it was very good. And so that meant things were going exactly the way he wanted, things were just perfect, and they were fantastic. But then we know, if we read past Genesis chapter 1 and go to Genesis chapter 3, that uh, Adam and Eve decided to sin against God. They chose Something that brought, really, a death and destruction to the world. It just brought chaos. And all the stuff that we see are negative and evil. All of those things came through the fall. And so it's it's the destructiveness of that fall. But the great news and the good news that we have is that Jesus Christ has come to redeem us from the curse. To change things that that were once God's beautiful plan and that was distorted by sin, he came to restore those things and to bring back life and to bring it abundantly. And we're not going to see the fullness of this until he comes and returns again and there's a new heaven and a new earth. Because the earth that we're living on has been touched and tainted also. And it even talks about in Romans that all creation groans for the coming of the sons of God and and for for the time when the Lord returns and it's it's going to be a wonderful thing but in in the meanwhile there's life as God intends it to be and i know that i'm not even going to i'm just going to be touching the tip of the iceberg because there's no way if you talked about everything that the lord has available for us and what he has planned for us and what he has yeah there wouldn't be enough time <laughs> in many 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 sermons And uh, so that's for sure, but I I just want to go back into the garden, and I want to look at what happened before the fall, and I want to see some of the things that God wants and desires, life as he really intends it to be, because I think that's really important. So the very first thing is that God created you to have life. Makes sense, life as God intended it to be. But listen to what it says in, in um, verse 7 of chapter 2. It says the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. It's amazing how you know the scientists tell us how how we're made of all mostly water. And then there's chemicals and different things, dust, I guess, because that's what we were made out of uh, and created. But when God breathed, He gave life, and man became a living being. And so there's that's what He wants us to have is His life. And so I was thinking about when Jesus came, you know, the the, the fall brought about a separation from God, which is actual death. It's a spiritual death. We're separated from God. We're cut off from him and the relationship that he desires to have with us because of sin. And then it brought physical death upon us. And so one of the things that Jesus came, he said in John 10.10, you know, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus came to restore life in us. One of the ways that he talked about that, I don't have this scripture up there, but one of the things he talked about in John chapter 3 was he told Nicodemus, Don't you know you need to be born again? And he goes, What? Can I be born a second time into my, you know, go into my mother's womb a second time? Because he didn't understand that he he was talking about a spiritual rebirth where a dead spirit would now not. (laughs) Born again means brand new creation that takes place within our hearts and so it talks about that in second corinthians 5 17 that if anyone is in christ he is a new creature the old things passed away and behold new things have come and when this when this passage says that we're new creatures that means something created afresh and anew so Our bodies weren't recreated. Our souls weren't recreated. But what was recreated in us is our spirit. God made us brand new. There's new life that we have. We have life in Jesus. And we have life that we didn't have prior to coming to him and responding to him. So he's done a work in us. And then this is what it says. Jesus, as he was praying in the garden, he says, this is eternal life. That they may know you. He's praying to the Father. So he's speaking, Jesus is speaking to the Father. He says, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And so he's talking here about this relationship and talking about eternal life is actually in, in the person of God and Jesus Christ. Just as God originally breathed life into man. Through Jesus Christ, our spirit comes alive and we have a brand new relationship with God and it opens the doors for us to walk. So one of the things that God wants us to experience is life as he considers it to be, which he considers it to be an abundant life. I came that they may have life and life more abundant. And so that really becomes important that Jesus is the one who is giving us a picture of what what He wants life to be. And that really becomes important in my mind because the life that we live, man, we're we're experiencing stuff God never wanted us to experience. We're experiencing many uh, things that, that weren't part of His plan for our lives. And so that's really important to understand. So, second thing is, with this idea of the garden is that God created you in the image, in his image. So you, he created you in his image. I don't know why I wrote that. God created you in the image of God. It's kind of weird. It should be his image, but oh well. Get the point, I think. And so when we go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said... Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So there's this this thing where god says well i i want them to have life but i want them to be like me i'm creating them in my image now we know that we're not an exact representation of who god is because god doesn't he doesn't have a body the father is a spirit and we know that and jesus said we worship the father in spirit and truth so when he's saying his his image in his likeness it means he's created us to be relational, relational with him and relational with one another. He's created us with the ability to choose. He's given us the ability to uh, walk in his ways and all the things that he has. But he, we're created in the image of God. And here's, here's something um, that I think is really important. You know, as you read through the Bible when you when you see the promises that are here when you see what the bible says who it says we are in christ that we really grab hold of that so it's so easy to be shaped by our past be shaped by how we grew up be shaped by the events that took place in our lives and we can you know it's it's so easy to say oh yeah my life was so messed up you know how could i ever be what god said i am and it's really hard for some of us to believe that we're what God says it's hard for us to believe that God says we're holy because we're in Christ it's hard for us to believe that that we're a new creation in Christ because well look what I just did yesterday and we struggle with that and not realizing that who we are in Christ is the reality of who we are and to begin to look at that and begin to walk in what God's called us to be he's called us many things throughout the scripture and we could go weeks and weeks just on that but your past does not define who you are once you come to Christ all things become new there's all new possibilities there are all new ways that we can walk and grow and increase in the lord and become more and more like him and here's here's what it says here you know we're created in the image of god but in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So there's this process where as we, as we follow God and as we look upon His glory, He changes us and we become more like Jesus the process you know what they call sanctification the technical term you know the theological term of growing and maturing and becoming more and more set apart for god as as we become more like him we get rid of the stuff that hinders us and we we just become more and more we're changed into his image because god created us in his image and the fall messed that up but jesus is restoring that he's he's bringing us and transforming us by the renewing of our mind, by the healing of our bodies, by the healing of our emotions by by bringing his peace and his life and his abundance into our life, as we open up to him, we become more like jesus and And I think that we can generally see those changes. The hard thing about change is that we usually think of change like from last week, you know, I thought about doing this last week, and I haven't done it yet, but I think we need to really look at our lives in sections of, of of like six months, of one year, two years, three years, depending on how long we've known the Lord. What has changed in my life? Because I know, I can tell you, I've been saved for 40 years. I've known Jesus for 40 years. I've been walking with Him, and I, you know, I can go through some major times in my life where the Lord has done some work that has changed me and transformed me, to be more like Christ. And there's more to be done because, uh, you know, I, I'm i not like him in every every facet. You know, sometimes I get grumpy. Sometimes, Well, he gets grumpy too, but he probably gets grumpy for the right reasons. <laughs> he was, you know, getting after the Pharisees and doing that kind of stuff. But, you know, we have things in our lives, and I, I think it's hilarious because I talk about getting grumpy and stuff where, you know, 40 years ago, you got me stirred up, I'd scream and yell and cuss at you and go crazy and maybe punch you. And now I talk about being grumpy. So what what a big difference, you know. But if you start looking at your life and seeing this is where I was and look at what he's brought, it just shows that God's at work and he's been at work and the great thing that Philippians says and this scripture is not up there either, but Philippians 1.6 says that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of his coming. So he's going to just keep working on us and keep changing us and transforming us as we walk in him. When we're in Christ, we're growing, we're increasing, we're becoming more and more like the image of God because we're being restored. And then, of course, when he comes, it says, this is the great part. He says, when we come, we'll he comes, we'll see him, for we'll be as he is. Isn't that a good one? Whew! That'll be hot. I guarantee you. That'll be a great one. So, what's life as God intends it to be? You know, we looked at this. God created you have life. He created you in his image, but he also created us to rule he created you to rule with him and you say what what are you talking about this rule stuff you know because sometimes we think of rulers like dictators and all this stuff we're doing it under god and we're we're bringing his kingdom about we're in part of his kingdom and he's given us position in his kingdom every one of us has more authority than we can ever really begin to know and I was just thinking, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read it again because we've read the first part of it and or talked about the first part. But in, in verse 26, then God said, "'Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, "'and let them rule over the fish of the sea "'and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over the earth, "'over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth.'" And another passage in Genesis chapter 2 says over all of everything, the living thing, everything that's alive, for them to be ruling and reigning over, bringing his authority and his scope into the picture. So God's called us to rule with him, and he wants us to, to stand up in the authority that he's given us. And part of that authority, I like this, is because this is what Jesus is, is doing. He's in the beginning, he's calling his disciples, and he's giving them power and authority to do things. And this this happens to be in Luke nine one, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. So he's giving them authority. And then it says, "Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you." In Luke ten nineteen. So there's this idea of that he's given us power and authority. And then even in the Great Commission, I didn't put this one down, but Matthew 28, he says, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. He's giving us, us authority and power to rule with him and to expand his kingdom, which we're going to look at in another one, but to bring his kingdom to this whole globe. The whole world, because that's the that was the call to Adam and Eve, grow, multiply, increase, and then take over, begin to increase and fill this world, and bring it under the subjection and under the kingdom of God, and that's that's what he's done. He wants us to rule with him. He wants us to reign, and and to be under his authority, of course, because it, his ruling is is a delegated authority. It's not something that we grab and become a ruler on our own. It's something he gives us to walk in. And so for us to, to begin to rule over the regions of our life, the things in our life, and begin to see his hand at work in us. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, So God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply fill the earth so here again he goes and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth so he's saying i want you to be fruitful he's he's that's really a command he says be fruitful (laughs) be fruitful and multiply he wants to see the increase And we know how that... It's just amazing how that can happen. If you think about it, like they talk about the ones who went down to Egypt, there's 70, and another verse says 72. There's 70 that went down there. Um, And what happened is that within 400 years, they went from 70 people to 2 to 3 million people. You start doing the math, that's increased what happens is kids have kids and then they start having kids and they start having and then here's this massive increase that you couldn't even begin to think of from from just a group of 70 people so there's this this amazing uh growth that takes place over these years and god said be fruitful and multiply and so he's speaking to those upon the earth he wants them to begin to fill and overcome you know because god made a A beautiful garden for them, but he had to end up kicking them out. And so then they had to work by the sweat of their brow and bring things under control in other ways that weren't part of God's plan either. Uh, I cannot personally wait for a world without weeds. I'm serious. I hate them. A, A world without sin. Can you imagine? Could you imagine not having to lock your door? You could leave your keys in the car and never have fear. I know some people do around here, but they wouldn't do it in L.A. (laughs) You know, uh, around here you can get away with that, but people still steal cars around here. But you know what I'm saying? It's just the things that we live with are not going to be a part of our lives when he returns. That's going to be great. So he said, be fruitful. And in John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So he's saying, you, you just dwell in me. You just abide in me. You keep staying with me. You keep walking with with me. And you'll begin to bring forth fruit and much fruit and then of course he says in that other other part of that passage that when we bear much fruit god's glorified god gets glory from the fruit bearing that we we do and so that's an important part of just walking with god as we become more fruitful as we we give more and more of ourselves to him and that's what he wants us to do is to be fruitful in in what we do he wants to prosper us Now, you know, we know this, that there's a lot of what they call prosperity teaching and things like this, and some of the teachers were multi-multi-millionaires and have all these big houses and all these things. I don't think that's God's kingdom mentality, actually. But, you know, I'm not saying that... um, Well, why I'm saying that is because what, what we preach and teach... Needs to be applicable in every place instead of just in America, where we have riches and money and all those kind of things, because it it, it doesn't happen in a lot of other places. And uh, so, when he says we're going to prosper, when we're going to have success, he's talking about blessing. I'm I'm not against people having money at all. Abraham was a wealthy man. There's no doubt about it. Job was a wealthy man. Yeah, When you read about the things that he had, Jacob had incredible amounts of things. So there's many of these ones who, who had wealth, and so wealth is not necessarily the issue. It's always what we do with it and those kind of things. And if we preach a gospel where money comes to us and it's just for us and we store it up, then there's many parables about that kind of stuff. Store up your treasures in heaven, not on the earth. That, you know and those kind of things. But he wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to have life and life more abundantly. He wants us to experience the fullness of everything that he has. And so that really becomes uh, important. So if we look at this verse 28 again in chapter 1 of Genesis, uh, God's created you to expand his kingdom. So God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So again, what, what he's saying, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply, but as you multiply, I want you to expand my kingdom, my rule and authority. Now we see, of course, in if we go throughout Genesis, that these guys you know they began to to go together and they went to babel right they 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 started to build the tower of babel and they built that and they said let us gather together god said go go into all the earth and what they do they gathered together and they said let's stay here let's build this thing because if if we do this nothing will god says nothing would be impossible for them because they were all of one heart one mind and they were actually opposing the lord in doing this that's why he scattered them isn't that interesting? He's messed up their language. So they couldn't communicate to one another. And they all gathered together according to languages and began to spread out and do the very things that God had asked because they were trying to do it on their own. They were making their own kingdom rather than expanding the kingdom of God and seeking to bring forth his kingdom. But if you think about like um, if you think about this, we expand God's kingdom anytime we touch someone in the name of Jesus, anytime someone's healed, anytime someone's delivered, anytime someone comes to the Lord, anytime that um, that we bring what God desires. You know, when we're talking about this, a lot of times we think individually, but Jesus wants to impact our culture. He wants to impact. Uh, those around us he wants to impact our family and he wants to impact our cities he wants to impact uh, actually nations because isn't that what he said go make disciples of all nations God's vision is for nations to be impacted by the gospel for his glory and that people would would come and do this but I thought this was really interesting is that that word subdue means it means to to bring it under authority and we know um we know that there's a lot of enemy activity just things of hell that are unleashed in our culture and one of the ways that we can attack that is through prayer another way that we can attack it is if we bring god's life into that situation as far as as trying to changed the culture in a good sense of bringing his life and his abundance into situations. So so when I'm talking about life as God intends it to be, I'm talking more, more the fullness of it rather than just me, myself, and I. He's, he wants our relationships to be good, our family relationship with our sons and our daughters, our mothers and fathers. He wants those relationships to be restored. He wants... You know, the fullness of his life to come into these situations. So that's an important. But in Luke 9 2, remember 9 1, he says, I give you authority to go. And then what he says in 9 2, he says, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So the first thing he does is he goes, I give you authority. Now go out and begin to expand the kingdom begin to heal people, begin to see people delivered, begin to see people saved, begin to see lives trained, changed and transformed. And, and so that's what he does. He gives us that, that idea of, of kingdom expansion. Now this one's pretty interesting. I've thought about this a little bit. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, Twenty-five. God created you for innocence, and God's recreated you through Christ for innocence. When when we come to Jesus, what does He do? We're cleansed. Our sins are forgiven. Our relationship with God is restored. All these things take place. So. He wants us to be innocent. I, this this verse here in 225, it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. It's really hard. I'm a word person. You guys know this. So I look in dictionaries. I look in all this stuff. It's really hard to find words that that... Parallel like innocent and stuff like that. Like unashamed. They have to say unashamed. Why can't they say or shameless? They, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like you have to have the thing unashamed or shameless. You have to talk about the negative bad thing in order to describe what you are. It's just weird. But innocent is, a, is really a good one because if, if we're innocent before the Lord... Then, But even in the scripture, naked and unashamed. <laughs> they weren't ashamed. And so there was this innocence that was there. And there was this wonderful, wonderful being just totally innocent before God. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's nothing. It's just walking with God. And I think that's one of the huge things if we can really get into our hearts and our lives that that when Jesus truly forgives us he absolutely forgives us and that we're cleansed how many of us you don't raise your hands or anything but just even here how many of us have regretted things that we've done and we've asked for forgiveness but we still regret it we're still kind of controlled by them we're still kind of held back and 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 even thinking of of God you know like like many times when we when we think of God we would um, just pull back and, and say, oh, I, I just can't press into God because look what I did, look what I did. Not recognizing the fullness of the cleansing of the blood of Jesus in our life because he's forgiven us. and And those things are, they need to be torn out. They need to be cast aside. And for us not to do this, I think I told I don't know if you guys remember this story but I had I had one thing in my life that I was super 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 ashamed of and that I hated and so every every single time I would I would start moving in the spirit or every single time there was stuff that was going on where God was really moving or I had to step out in faith to do something in the Lord and knowing that I was supposed to do this, I would get slammed with this. Look what you did. You did this. And I I'd, I'd just, ah. And for a while, what I'd do is I would give up and I'd surrender and I wouldn't press in. But then I decided, no, I'm pressing in. But you know what's really interesting too is that <clears throat> what happened is you know how, how the scripture says, confess your sins to one another, and you can do this in an individual sense, or I, I actually did it in a corporate setting in a cleansing stream retreat. I have no idea. I felt the Lord wanted me to say it, but once I said it, I was totally, absolutely set free. And so I'll tell you kind of what happened, and then you can see my greatest shame, <laughs> But it's not there anymore, so that's good. Or I wouldn't tell you, right? <laughs> I can't tell you, I'm a scum. Now, when Jesus forgives you, you're forgiven. You are absolutely cleansed. It doesn't It doesn't make what you did okay. It doesn't make what you... But he cleanses and he restores. So I can remember. I can't remember my age. I must have been... I was either 15 or 16, maybe 17. Hmm. In that area, no i had to be i had to, I had a car, so I had to be over sixteen so sixteen or seventeen, so we all went went to this party, and you know what happens with parties when you're young kids like that you drink and you get drunk and you you know you drink till you get drunk and fall down and you 're stupid right all that kind of stuff and so they had uh, they had this young girl passed out, and so my friend uh that I was going to this party with grabbed her and they drug her into a a bedroom and threw her on the bed and they said come on let's let's go and there's all these guys there and i said no i said no we're not doing this and he goes yeah we are i said no then i started getting intimidated because there's all these guys that were kind of pressing in on me and so i got intimidated and i backed down and so then they started doing what they were doing and i didn't do a, a thing and that absolutely haunted me. Because I don't... I. That ticks me off. What took place for that poor girl. Because who knows when she woke up, what in the world? But the thing that haunted me was I didn't stand up. I was a coward. I didn't just take my friend and knock him on his rear end like I should have. <clears throat> Down, you know. This was in my ornery days, but I guess when there's a whole gang, I didn't know what to do. And so now there's this shame that I carried. And, you know, the enemy will absolutely, 100%, try to keep you from moving ahead in God, making you think you're unworthy for something that Jesus Christ already cleansed you from. Because the very first time I asked him to forgive me for that, he, he forgave me. I was cleansed. I regretted it. I hated it. I didn't want anything to do with it. But then the enemy keeps pressing us down, keeps stopping us from moving ahead in confidence. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about innocence, to be before the Lord, naked and unashamed, where you can say, here I am. This is me. God, I can look. I can't see you, obviously, unless he gives us a vision or something, but we'll never see him directly right now. Every vision you see is surrounded in light and glory and splendor. But there's a day where we'll see him face to face because we're going to dwell in the midst with him. But there's this this whole idea of 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 being innocent and be able to say, God, here I am, and not have anything because of what Jesus has done, because of his cleansing, because of his forgiveness, because of his freedom, because of what he desires for us to walk in. He declares us righteous. Righteous is not guilty. And even not guilty, isn't that a negative thing? Not guilty. But innocence is what he's created us for. And so I just want to encourage you if there's areas of shame and things that you have in your life, that, you know, if you need to find someone to just say, you know, I did this and. And get that thing and and let it out so that somebody knows. Because a lot of times we keep things in the darkness. When we keep them in the dark, they haunt us. But when we bring them to the light, they're taken care of. And there's this scripture that we were talking about in Galatians. It says, well, there's one in James, too. It says, is anyone sick? Let him come. And if he's done any sin that it'll be forgiven him so therefore confess your sins to one another so that you can be made whole and so there's this idea of us confessing the things but not just trumpeting it to everyone but to 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 one another and and to allow that to hold to be broken so we can be free to walk forth in the power of God so here's the longer scripture God created us for innocence. Listen to this. This is so cool. First part's not good, but the second part is great because this is the first part's what I was talking about, how I used to live. It says, uh, Paul saying, So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them because of the hardness of their heart and they having been callous have given themselves over to sensuality and the practice of every kind of impurity and greediness now here's where it switches but you did not learn christ this way if indeed you have heard him and you have been taught by him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with lusts and deceit, and that you, being renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, Look, listen to this, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness, holiness, and truth like the image of God. So he's saying, put on the new self. You're a new creature in Christ, so no longer be clothed with the stuff from the past. Get rid of this stuff, get rid of the old junk, and put on this new man. Put on this new uh, covering, which is in the likeness of God, created in righteousness, holiness, and truth. And that he gives us this opportunity. He says, you're not who you used to be. You used to be this once, but you're not any longer. Because now you're in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you're new. You're a new creation. Now, this is another interesting one. And and I don't have any proof for this, so I'll just tell you this right off the bat. Um, There might be some somewhere, but... God created you to carry his glory. I think that's easy to see, you know, Moses and all this stuff. But what I'm doing is I'm looking at the same verse. They were naked and unashamed. They were naked and unashamed. It's my personal belief, because I've I've done a bunch of word studies and I've studied this stuff out, is that the opposite of shame is glory, God's glory. And I believe... And other people have said this too, but I believe they were covered with the glory of the Lord. And so that's why they could be naked and unashamed, because they had his glory. And then when they sinned and they went against God, shame. Instantly. The second that they ate, they knew that they were naked and they were ashamed and they tried to cover themselves. Instantly. And then they were fearful and ashamed because when God came in the garden, they ran. And they tried to hide from the presence of the lord and so the thing that i'm thinking is that is that we're we're to be carriers of the glory of god we're to be ones that 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 walk in have you have you ever been in the presence of someone who has like major authority and you know it they just walk in the room and pff, you know that's a person of authority I've seen it in uh, political leaders. I've seen it in military leaders. They don't have to say a word. They just walk in. And you know. (laughs) Have you ever had that? I have. A few times, that's for sure. But you just know it. Person of authority. That's who they are. And so, but there's, there's a glory of God that rests upon each one of us. And that, you know, the glory... Is 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 his um, manifest presence? Just his presence upon us, because it can impact people. And then the last thing I want to talk about is comes from Genesis three eight. God created you to be in His presence. God created you to be in His presence, and the reason I know that is it's all throughout the Bible. <laughs> But it's also here in Genesis chapter 3. It says, um, verse 8, Then they heard, you know, this is after Adam and Eve sinned, Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And so here's the idea, and we have this understanding is that is that it says the presence of the lord came into the garden and they they sensed it and ran and they hid we don't it says he was walking but it says his presence is really what it was the presence of god however he manifested himself a lot of times you know he manifests himself in a pillar of fire he manifests himself in a cloud uh, so that he covers up his face so that they don't see him face to face so they won't die all those kind of things, but God, God created us for His presence, to be with Him, to be in relationship with Him, and I think that's the key factor. And if we go back to the uh, first two things that we said, is that He's given us what life? God created us to have life. He also created us in His image, and so do you remember what it says? Life is this is this is eternal life that you know the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. So again, this is talking about relationship. And the image of God we see in the Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit absolutely united. There's there's no variation or shadow between any of, of them. They fully give themselves to one another, fully love one another, and then call us into that relationship and make us, in his image, you know that Adam wasn't just by himself. He was for a little while, but God said it's not good for man to be alone. Why? Because there needed to be more. There had to be relationship, and that's why God created Eve, and he goes, ah, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and then out of that union, they created children, which brings greater increase, and those things, so there's this relationship that's taking place. There's this relationship that's happening. And I, I like this uh, Hebrews 4, verse, uh, verses 16. It says, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So the whole point of this passage in Hebrews 4 is that it it, it talks about before that that Jesus is tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. It says, Therefore, when when we're when we're needing help to run to God, to run straight into the throne room of grace, so that we can receive his mercy and his grace. And grace Grace is God's power. That's what it is. You know, some, some just look at the fact, oh, grace is God's unmerited favor. There's truth in that. That grace means it can't be earned. But it's God's grace is an empowering force within us. When he gives us grace, that means we have the ability to do something. We have the strength and actually can do what we need to do and so it's not just you know unmerited favor i'm just going to favor you he's going to give us ability grace is god's power in our life so he says you come near i'll give you mercy i'll i'll give it to you i'll i'll i'm i'm merciful and i'm gracious so that's powerful and then here's the one that's really great and uh comes out of Revelation 21, when you get to the very end of the book of Revelation, it shows the new heavens and the new earth, and we begin to see what God's plan is all along. Now, I'm not sure how this is ever, I don't know, I don't know how it's ever come about so strongly, because peop, all people talk about is going to heaven all the time. We're going to go to heaven, going to go to heaven, going to go to heaven. Well, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. You're going to live on the earth. We're not going to live in heaven. I mean, we'll be in heaven till he comes, right? Be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. But God's plan was to put man on earth. And his plan, as he re- recreates the new heavens and the new earth, that untainted by sin, it, remember it says the... There's going to be a fire. It's going to burn up the old heaven and earth, and it's going to release a new heaven and earth. And so here's what it says. It says uh, in verse 1 of chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Peter tells us that's through fire. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. They shall be his people. And God himself will will be among him, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain because the first things have passed away. So what does it say? God is going to dwell on this earth in the midst of his people. And you know what? We're going to be able to look at him and see him because we have resurrected bodies. We're going to be able to see with our own eyes because we have a body that's untainted by sin. We have a body that's created. Remember how it says we have a perishable body, but we're going to be given an imperishable body, one that cannot rot away or die. So we'll begin to live in this new heaven and new earth with God dwelling in the midst of his people, because that's how it was even in the book of Genesis. God came into the garden. And same here. God comes into the world and dwells among us. So life as God intends it to be, man. He's got good stuff for us. And I think, uh, I think we're on a road to contend and to believe for God, to just do what he, what he wants to do, to believe and to press in. So I just, you know, I want you, anytime you read the Bible, I've heard this over and over and over and over and over and over, so I know it's true, and I've had it happen to me. You start reading, and all of a sudden it says something, but there's something. Your brain says yes, but something goes, ah, no, not really for me. No, this hasn't happened for me. Well, why not? Well, then maybe I need to find out what this ah is and get rid of it and begin to believe God. For the promises. Because every promise is yes and amen in Jesus. Every promise is is based upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's the blood of the covenant. And for us to be able to do that. So now we're going to end our time with some communion. So why don't we gather together. This is a good place for that. Good, Good place for us to do it. Yeehaw. Hey, buddy.